This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Julia Middleton here, expedition leader. This episode is devoted to the expedition, but for a change, we're not talking about the 24 women on the expedition, the the members of it, but to the hundreds of women who have sort of surrounded it, who have who have made it all possible and helped us on our way. Uh, we're going to start first with Dipali. Dipali, who runs Rockefeller in India, the Rockefeller Foundation in India, and it was her that made it possible for us to to book to 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 meet together in February 2023 at Bellagio in um, Lake Como in Italy, that extraordinary palace owned by the Rockefeller Foundation, a place of peace where extraordinary wisdom has has emerged from it over the years. And um, it it means we're going to be there in February at the, to, to the finale of the expedition. Being there without doubt puts a great deal of pressure on us because we're going to have to come up with something pretty glorious to justify being there. But it also, I'm pretty sure, will play a key role in lifting us up so that we do exactly that. When we started off on the expedition in May 2022, Dipali spoke on the podcast and wished us good luck in our exploring. Here's just a a small clip from that. You've taken so much of time and effort to really get the unusual women together who normally would not be in this journey together. So I think that in itself is going to trigger some very, very important conversations. And that whole discovery and that support system that you're creating through this journey is going to be really something to watch out for. And, you know, it's truly going to be transformational, not just for these leaders, but for many, many of us who are really watching and um, really wanting to see how we can be playing our part to make this end, uh, you know, of the, I, I don't think there's going to be an end of this expedition. The journey is going to go on and go through various, various phases. So how can we, you know, who are not part of that journey on a day-to-day basis, like the 24 women you've identified, but I very much feel part of that as well. Deepali, we felt your presence all the way through. Um, you may not feel part of the journey, but we know that you are part of the journey. In that, you're pretty central to to the journey. But thank you. So the next person we're going to talk to on this episode is a woman called Theo, a remarkable leader across the continent of Africa. And she's played a really crucial part of the expedition, as have a number of other leaders 
of all ages who have been what we've called guides to the expedition. They have taken the calls of members. They have played with the ideas of members. They've shared their experiences with an extraordinary generosity. And they've answered members' questions with an honesty that has that has enriched the expedition right the way through. You can find the full list of all the guides to the, the expedition if you go to the website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org. You'll find little biographies of, of all of the guides, for, whether that's Bin or Hilla or Paula or Asifa, Annie or Garvey or Zena or Kelly or May or Sabrina or Nandita or Veronica or Hatun or Saba. And there are so many more who have been extraordinary supporters and guides to the members of the expedition. Thank you to them all. But here we, we particularly focus on Theo, who had just come off a call with Falawe, one of the members of the expedition, and helped her to think through some quite big ideas that she had in her head. Theo, you spoke recently to Falawe. Yes. We spoke um, a little, a short while ago, and it was a great conversation. It was really good speaking to her. She has some great ideas about looking at, and some great questions actually, around women's leadership um, and intergenerational leadership in Africa. And so the conversation was really interesting, partly because her questions were really great about how women live with, acknowledge, work with privilege in leadership and what it takes to make sure that you're being truly inclusive in the leadership work that you're doing. Um, and it was interesting to me because I've worked with different generations of women leaders in different parts of Africa and she'd really highlighted some of the issues um, involved in making sure that women's leadership was genuine and was authentic and reflected some of the social justice and equality issues that we've been working on. So yes, I'm looking forward to speaking with her more. Why do you think it's such a big issue in Africa? Frankly, I think it's an issue everywhere. I actually think that a lot of the leadership work that people have spoken about in relation to women's leadership hasn't actually been, in my view, leadership. It's been more about management. And yes, it's great to have women managers and, are not, and they are very much needed, but I think leadership goes um, deeper than that. And that leadership brings in a whole range of issues around values, around principles, around vision, around relationship, and to have genuine and constructive women's leadership means that women have to have looked at all of those issues in relation to their own ways of being. And so I think it's not just in Africa, I think it's across the world that unless women are very clear about the nature of their leadership, unless they're very clear 
about how their leadership and how their enactment of leadership reflects the principles and values that they speak of, then we end up with unauthenticity that is not helpful. I'm not sure that unauthenticity is a word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and why is this a generational issue? Oh no, I think when I say intergenerational, I think it, it shows throughout our generations. There are some older women leaders that I know of who are the epitome of lived leadership um, and who do wonderful, wonderful work. But there are also um, older generation women that I have seen sometimes in Africa, sometimes in Europe and in North America, um, whose own privilege stops them actually being genuinely inclusive in the way in which they lead. But that's not just about older women. I've seen it in younger generation. Privilege is something that cuts across age, it cross, cuts across ethnicity, it cuts across geography, um, and frankly, it cuts across politics as well. And when you say privilege, what do you mean? I mean, advantage within the societal systems within which we live. And I suppose there are some women who think that they can't possibly have privilege because they're women. <laughs> privilege is different to discrimination. <laughs> you can be discriminated against. Um, and that's when I start looking at the, when I very much think about systems, because you were talking about very often about systems of discrimination. So you can be a woman and be discriminated against. But I think we all have to acknowledge that there are different circumstances in which women live. And there's some women who have far greater access to power, far greater access to decision-making, far greater access to choice. And as I said, sometimes that comes simply from where you're born in this world and how you then fit into overarching economic systems. Sometimes it comes from working your way into a system that gives, then allows you greater access to choice and decision-making. And, and sometimes, you know, privilege finds its way to you through other methods. We're not all the same. We, in any of our lives, do. I, in, in my own life, I was very much given steps forward in my career by older women who who were encouraging who who pushed you know me to use my voice and use my experience and learn and move um, but I have absolutely seen old, you know older women who partly because when people look at power as a zero-sum game when they think there's a limited amount of power, they're scared about losing their grip on any power that they've managed to claw into their area of influence. And so sometimes women in that position will hold on to power and will see younger women coming in as a threat to the limited power they've accessed. But for as many women as I've seen do that, I've seen many more women who actually think you shouldn't have to struggle the way I struggled 
in order to access decision-making, in order to exercise choice in, in your life, in your workspace and in other places. So from my personal point of view, yes, there are women who, who say you have to be older before you're wiser, but I also know many, many, many more women who judge based on what you bring and what you offer. So it brought joy to your heart to talk to Falawi? <laughs> it actually it was. It, it was a really fun conversation. Um, and it was really interesting. And she she's one of those people that all that makes me feel that we have so many great examples of women's leadership in so many different ways. And very often we don't acknowledge that, but I have a very strong feeling that she will definitely, well, she must already be acknowledged as a leader in her field and with the people that she's working with. But I've got a very strong feeling that she's going to be very, very widely recognized as an amazing woman leader and someone who walks her talk. Thank you, Theo, and to all the guides. If you'd like to be a guide um, and, and help us um, on the expedition and on our way, do send me an email on info at womenemerging.org. That's info at womenemerging.org. Send me an email, tell me about yourself, and let's, let's do a Zoom and see if we can make it work. So next, after Dipali and Theo, is Marianne, who's a columnist for Forbes, who recently wrote that wonderful article that we've all been celebrating about the expedition. I asked her to share the insights that she's got from writing the article to, to picking up the ideas of the 24 women on the expedition. And I also actually asked her to read out some, one or two of the pieces that the expedition members had written to her as part of her research. So go on, Marianne. How difficult was it to write this article? You know, the most difficult part about it was that there was so much great content and um, it prompted so many different thoughts in my head that I easily could have written a book from inspired by it and then has, um, but so I wouldn't call it, it, it was difficult in a happy, difficult way in the sense that there was just uh, so much to offer in um, what I learned from it and, and what, you know, these women shared, um, which, you know, obviously inspired by this incredible idea you've had to put together this expedition. Thank you, Marianne. Um, tell me what you've seen. First and foremost is the reason that, you know, part of the reason that inspired you just in the first place, which is that if we, if, if we do, um, you know, identify absolutely this need to have more women in leadership, um, the idea is not just to do leadership the way that it has been modeled um, before us in some dysfunctional, um, you know, somewhat, you know, hierarchical, patriarchal ways, but to for for to really for women to bring um, their authentic visions, their authentic, you know, voices, 
um, the the values that um, they also bring rather than thinking that they had to um, just, you know, sort of copy um, ways that aren't authentic to them, which are, as, as we learned, um, you know, through some of these answers have been preventing women from seeing themselves as leaders. I mean, there, so I think that I saw that. Um, I also saw the need um, which I know that um, is part of that conversation that we need that, you know, there are certain attributes or values that are deemed, um, you know, we, in our culture, we deem them as, as quote, feminine. And actually they've been sort of denigrated in many ways. I don't want to like affirm strict binaries because there's masculine and feminine and all these attributes in, in all genders. Um, but um, some of the more quote, feminine attributes like you know, caring, compassion, empathy, consensus build, building, you know, listening, um, you know, collaboration, all of these things that are obviously so needed in our world right now um, that aren't typically thought of, you know, leadership in, is sometimes thought of as you're being strong and you're, it's hierarchical and it's power over. Well, women, you know, again, without making generalizations, often sometimes see it as, you know, this sort of more power to power with lifting up the collective rather than just power for power's sake. I also I was realizing how much of this is an internal process, um, the importance of women sharing their stories, their own journeys, um, things that maybe they don't think to integrate into like, you know, let's read a leadership book and it's just like skills, it's it's things you have to do. No, you bring your full selves and, and also the internal journey of, um, which I know is something a lot of women um, struggle with, is um, just um, the internal obstacles. We know there's certainly structural obstacles out in the world, but that often it is also women first seeing themselves as a leader or believing in their vision. Oh, and also the fact that what I thought was really amazing that you did was there are a lot of different types of leaders. And I think sometimes we think of like, oh, heads of state and, you know, elected officials, but by the fact that you had so many different kind of, you know, athletes and composers and, you know, heads of philanthropic organizations and from all over the world, just we all in, in our communities, in our work, um, we all have, can be a leader. And I think that's such an important message because right now I think all people need to claim themselves and and see themselves as a leader rather than thinking we can leave it up to our quote, you know, sort of elected leaders, which as as we can tell um, in the stewardship of the world right now isn't isn't going so well. What I like about what you're doing in bringing all these different perspectives together from so many different languages and um, perspectives from all over the world is let's come up with our own shared language. Let's learn from each other because, you know, I think that it's really important to be exposed to all of these different, you know, lenses and ways of talking about it so that we can kind of redefine it rather than getting stuck in um, old language that really, you know, no longer serves serves us or this whole conversation. I got a spark from everybody's response. Give me some examples. Well, um, there were so many, but, you know, just a few. This one from Aparna really struck me. She said, I recognize that masculinity and femininity are qualities that reside along a spectrum. And when we say and quote, approach to leadership that resonates with women, we are also implying a feminine slash feminist worldview. 
we are also working with the assumption that the historical trajectory of the idea of leadership and the professionalization of this trait have left women out. It is for the simple reason that we need forms and functions of leadership that not only resonate with women, but get defined by women. The opportunity for an intersectional and inclusive view of the world is made more possible if we imagine a leadership that resonates with women. When we imagine such a leadership, we introduce a chink in the armor that protects and sustains the very structures of power that control and oppress. And then this next thing that she said also is something that I've often thought about. It was good to hear someone say it out loud. Where is my critique of how women could also appropriate and misuse power? That critique is not lost on me. But to give into that critique would also mean that we fail to question the authority of a narrow definition of leadership that has dominated the world thus far. Isn't it time we imagine at least half of all world leaders being women leading the world in a way that resonates with women? So that I just thought there was so much in there um, to, to think about. Um, and I just loved her language. But also, yeah, I think it's really important that we, you know, talk about this in sort of like, you know, thoughtful and um, yeah, just honest ways. And um, I like that people are still sort of figuring out for themselves and, you know, challenging themselves in, in some of our thinking around this. So an, another one that I found myself thinking about a lot was um, from Ruba, um, who said, Many women, especially women of color in the South, women like me, an Arab woman wearing hijab, a mother of two working with vulnerable communities feel left out from approaches to leadership that center the white male. Today more than ever, with the problems in our societies and communities worldwide, and the crisis in leadership that was highlighted especially after COVID, we need to rethink existing leadership models to make sure they are more inclusive and representative of all components of society. And I think the thing that I was thinking about with that was, that you know leadership looks even more different from a global lens where you know i mean cuz you know when you you know first for maybe like a, a white woman like me you know in the western world it's almost can become like some liminalist is just sort of like how it is but it's even more probably pronounced when you know sort of the like epitome of leadership in a global perspective is maybe you know a white male from the western world when you're exactly as she's saying a, a woman of color in, in the in the south an arab woman wearing hijab you know working with vulnerable communities i just felt like it's even more pronounced and obvious how left out that they are and and i think she would also probably change that to white english speaking male too mm. Very good point. <laughs> Absolutely. And then uh, this one from um, Isada also articulated something that I find, you know, interesting that I think about a lot. She said, this approach is needed because our world now is a global village in terms of the challenges facing us. Even though we may not see the leadership challenges in Iran or Sierra Leone as directly affecting us, we fully understand how climate change challenges are global and how leadership in this aspect affects more than just your corner of the world. It's therefore imperative that we source, harness, and emphasize leadership that is multifaceted, which focuses on nonlinear impact, which prioritizes diversity and inclusion, and which transcends borders. And in addition to that just being, you know, obviously, you know, so many truths, I was thinking about how, you know, as unfortunate and concerning as climate change is, it's such a potent example for us all to like truly get that we're global. 
it's like the one issue the, and the pandemic was similar in that too that we were all affected by the pandemic there were no borders to that and um and also passed across borders but climate change really is that you know uh, symbol of saying we are all affected, we need to, you know, act together and that we are this, you know, this whole family here on our home planet. So um, I thought that that was just very powerful. There was this also from Melissa, leadership must unleash the talents of us all, not just the few. We need leaders who can do this not through command, but by believing, as mothers do, in the best in everyone's child and committing to seeing that giftedness expressed. We frankly need more humble, caring, and serving leaders who lead not from brute strength, but from weakness, unleashing the generative gift of mutuality and wholeness. What is needed now is an active, empathetic, bridge-building leadership to reinvest resources into life systems and microeconomies, and the courage to change the current structures that no longer serve the well-being of the whole and only benefit the few. And in addition to just that being just inspiring, what I liked is also that you know, we often see motherhood as being this like distraction or it's not rele re relevant to the conversation of leadership. And whereas she's saying, and I can understand this as a mother myself, what a beautiful thought. It's it's also just, you know, that idea that, cause I know I feel that for my children, you know, as she says, you know, um, believing as mothers doing the best in everyone's child and committing to seeing that giftedness expressed. It's actually like, let's integrate you know, this concept of mothering and motherhood into leadership. So I thought that was really powerful and resonated with me a lot. And Katrina also added to this. She said, I have uncovered that I still do not celebrate my motherhood enough as a leader. I do not share too much about being a mother of not just one, but to three boys for the risk of being judged as not professional or committed enough. So I, you know, and then she says, being involved in this expedition, I'm now going to celebrate and share more of my whole self and all of the brilliant leadership skills I've developed because of being a mother and not despite it. Hopefully by doing this, I can encourage other women who are both mothers and leaders to do the same. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's just so important that not only is that something we shouldn't have to hide, it's not something that, you know, would distract us or hinder us, but actually it's something that, you know, is, is, is helpful for, and for all the reasons that you're also saying too, you know, it is, and we also talk about mother earth after all. So, but, but, you know, the other thing is that people are worried about using the word mothering because it's too soft and it's too gentle. Now, mm. I don't know what you're like, but I hope I'm sometimes soft and gentle. I'm also absolutely ruthless and brutal. And if anybody threatens my children, cool. They want to watch out. Um, so, you know, it's, it's soft, but it's also extremely um, robust. Yes. <laughs> when he's needed. Absolutely. Uh, That's a good point. It's, you know, it's, I sometimes talk about myself as like also being like a mother bear, but, you know, but also absolutely, you know, I think that we have to bring both those. That's a very important line. distinction. Thank you for saying that, because those are very important, both aspects you actually need to integrate in order to, you know, parent your child successfully. And there's, and you need the balance of them both. Marianne, I get the impression you enjoyed speaking to the 24 women. <laughs> I mean, how can you not? I mean, they were so full of wisdom, but I think what I most appreciated, cause like, you know, it's, it's one thing to be wise, but to be so honest, like you could tell this was, this was wisdom that was sort of just, um, percolated from their inner beings. And it was also something that had been, um, if you don't mind me using this word, it feels appropriate midwife through the process of the expedition and through you. 
um, and your leadership in allowing them to be able to share their stories and get used to that and to really probe deeply. So by the time they were sharing these responses, they were so thought through um, that, um, and that's my favorite types of, of things to, to write about and hear about are, the, are that type of really sort of like deep, thoughtful, candid, personal thinking. Thank you so, so much, Marianne, and thank you for the article. Uh, this is the first major article about the expedition, and it's been in Forbes, and we're very, very proud and delighted and grateful to Marianne. And, of course, also to Aparna and Isata and Ruba and Katrina for, for writing and volunteering their thoughts uh, for Marianne's piece at this key point in the expedition when we're about two-thirds of the way through. If you want, so just to remind you, all of the 24 members of the expedition wrote pieces. And if you want to see all of them, read all of them, do go to the website. You'll find the Forbes, the website womenemerging.org. You'll find the Forbes article there, and you'll also find the sort of full um, contribution, the written contributions of the 24 members. They're glorious things to read. So we've spoken to Dipali um, as we were setting off. We've talked to Theo about guiding us through the journey. We've talked to Marianne about the snapshot she took of the expedition when we were two-thirds of the way through. I think let's leave the last word to Stephanie. Now, Stephanie has been the enabler on the expedition. Uh, she, the enabler, and Lissa, who has been the disruptor, so wait a minute, to remind you, 24 women on the expedition, but Lissa and Stephanie have had a really crucial role. Lissa as the disruptor to, to try and push us to think bigger, to think longer, to think harder, to go deeper. Um, I interviewed Lissa on episode four of the podcast. No, episode five of the podcast. So if you if you want to hear a whole episode on the subject of disrupting and um, Lissa's thoughts, they are fantastic. This is just a quick word from Stephanie, who is the enabler, who has um, come on the journey with us, seen me certainly through some moments of stumbling and some moments of extraordinary insight. She's... Um, I, th I thought I'd ask her, she's a busy lady, you know, why she has um, been the enabler, why she volunteered to be the enabler on the expedition and, and, and where she thinks we've got to so far. So, Stephanie, you've seen lots of initiatives about leadership. Why is this one different? This expedition um, is different because, you know, it started from this vantage point of asking what's leadership that resonates with women. And for me, that broke frame for this idea that leadership has been defined historically by men, men leaders, men thinkers, because that's how things were. And 
Um, this idea to start from scratch, not looking at existing models, existing definitions, existing research. For me, I just love this idea of this white space to be able to think and create. And I think what's different too is the amazing group of women who came together with open minds, not necessarily as leaders in a predefined sense, but leaders in their own way, expansively across boundaries, across buildings, across contexts, across geographies, across sectors. And that idea, again, such an open field and open slate to think and create, even if we came up with the exact same answer would be beneficial, but I don't think we're going to do that. And different ages too. And different ages, right? Different languages, different talents. It's powerful. I mean, the group is diverse and everybody loves the fact that it's diverse. But what do you think the diversity actually adds to the expedition? Well, Julie, if I'm honest, I think it adds discomfort, right? And I think this idea that diversity by definition is about difference and difference is about the edges of who we are and that we can learn on those edges to like see something that otherwise we wouldn't have seen. It's because of our difference, not because of our similarities. And I think for a lot of people, the ambiguity is hard because we want to know where we're going. We want to know what the answer is. And it's not going to be something familiar. And so the diversity makes us really comfortable with the unfamiliar and new ways of thinking. So is the enabler, we chose that word. It doesn't mean anything, does it? <laughs> I'm not sure what I've enabled, but I love the word. <laughs> I love the word and it, it has to be said, I keep on saying my advice is never lead an expedition about leadership. <laughs> but my further advice is never lead an expedition about leadership without an enabler. <laughs> I'm surely glad you're with us. So I suppose then that my last question is, where do you think the group have got to? And do you think they're ready for Bellagio? Well, I think um, I think the group has uh, I, I I think your first of all your leadership it's hard to lead when you're studying the leadership so you're kind of a you know but um, really keeping the um, the mindsets open for as long as possible to resist the temptation of trying to find the answer. I think that that energy and that openness is gonna create a lot of power in Bellagio because people are just ripe to say, okay, what do we think? What do we mean? And how can we express ourselves in a way that's distinctive and different? Because we, I think we know we're onto something, but until you start putting words to it and start having it take shape, you don't know. And I think there's a lot of energy that's ready to do that. And I think that, um, you know, as things start getting categorized or bucketed or defined, then all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you start seeing something and then can keep molding it. So I, I think the energy is ripe, the ideas are ripe and it's ready to be shaped and molded and then, you know, co-owned. So I'm excited. It's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait to see the multitude of um, ways of people expressing themselves through music. I'm sure there'll be some dancing. 
<laughs> uh, and um, creative choice of words and medium. So it'll, it, um, I'm excited. So there you have it. The expedition has been a huge undertaking. There's been so many women involved in making it possible at base camp, in their diet guiding, in their recording, in their cheering from the sides, in, in loving us on our way. Thank you to all and to everyone. Just a last thought. Remember that we do do every three weeks a live, an expedition live session. And that's where I and one of the members of the expedition pick up your questions, capture your thoughts on the, on the subjects that we cover in the podcast or your curiosity, no doubt, about where the expedition is and where it's going to and how it's getting there. The next live is on the 9th of December at 10 a.m. UK time. That's 9th of December at 10 a.m. UK time. Uh, I'll be with Katrina, uh, who, who will help me think through the answers to your points and your questions. And, in, and indeed, if you have points and you have questions, please, please do either join us or send me a message on information at womenemerging.org. So I send you all my love and my thanks to everybody who has made this happen. And many of you I know who are listening to the this episode are also part of the gang of women who have supported us. Thank you so, so much. Lots of love. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us. Keep them coming.